Hello, and welcome to episode two of Paint by Murders. I'm your host, narrator, and author, M. Travis DiNicola. Paint by Murders is an original, as of yet unpublished, mystery novel. It's the first in a series of Harrisburg homicide mysteries. In the last episode, we met Keith and Ginger, who just moved to Harrisburg, and we were introduced to the bad boy artist Alan Moonshine. Today's episode features chapters three through five. Each episode of the podcast, dropping once a week, will feature subsequent installments from the novel. If you would like more information about the project or have comments you would like to share, please do so on the social media pages where you found this, or email me at paintbymurders at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the story. Chapter 3. That fall, Keith and Ginger quickly settled into Harrisburg. She found work at China Cat Sunflowers, a flower shop in Midtown a few blocks from their house. Ginger loved that she was able to walk to work. It was a pleasant Monday morning. I'm leaving early, she told Keith as he was in the kitchen feeding their cats, Ed and Hop, named after the artist, Edward Hopper. The weather's beautiful. I'm going to go take a walk along the river before I have to open. The cats loved the new home, too, chirping as they ran up and down the staircases to explore the three floors, and they were even happier when Keith installed a cat door to the basement, which became their new playground, and litter box. Ed looked like a sleek black panther and was extremely friendly. He let anyone pet him as often and as long as they wanted, chattering away the whole time, eventually turning it into a purr, and then finally he would start snorting. His snort purr was incredibly adorable. Keith suspected that Ed intentionally acted like a sweetheart to distract from whatever disaster the cat left in his wake. Ed had a bad habit of knocking over filled wine glasses. His sister, Hop, was a skinny tortoiseshell and much better behaved than her brother, though a bit skittish. She could only be petted upon invitation. Hop would rub her head on Keith's hand to let him know. If Keith didn't pet immediately, she would howl until her demands were met. Have a great day, and good luck with the painting! Ginger called back as she closed the front door behind her. After the cats were done eating, Keith cleaned up and walked a few blocks to Arturo's, a small Italian bakery and restaurant, to get his own breakfast. He'd been coming there most mornings and was on a first-name basis with Vito, one of the friendly sons who worked out front while the mom and grandmother cooked in the back. The place was crowded with chairs and tables, and the dark, rust-colored walls hid the dirt well. Not much atmosphere, but the food was amazing. At the counter, Keith ordered an egg, cheese, and sausage sandwich, served on a fresh-baked Italian roll and a cup of black coffee. While waiting for the sandwich, he drank his coffee at a table by the window and checked emails on his phone. The Christopher West Gallery, representing him in Indianapolis, wanted a dozen of his new paintings as soon as possible for an insurance company's office. This was good. They weren't broke, but the move had been more expensive than anticipated. He'd been watching the balance of his bank account online like he was playing a video game. They had some savings, but not much. Just when it looked like all of his video game lives were used up, he'd come across this magic pill which would restore his health so he could keep playing. Vito brought his sandwich to his table, and Keith put his phone away so he could focus entirely on the food. The sausage, made by the grandmother, was a thing of beauty. Spicy without being overwhelming. After he was done with his breakfast, Keith decided to grab a cannoli to go for later. Where had these cannolis been all of his life? The shells were perfect, solid without being too crunchy. The ricotta filling had the correct balance of creamy and sweet. 
He would have to watch that he didn't get in the habit of having one every day, maybe every other day. Before going back to the house, Keith walked through the riverfront park along the Susquehanna, dodging groundhogs, geese, geese poop, and joggers. A lone kayaker was out on the river, fishing near the shoreline. It was a short walk back to their house, not nearly long enough to offset a cannoli. He knew that he should walk farther down the path along the river, but wanted to get back to work on those new paintings. Back home in his well-lit and ventilated third-floor studio with earth, wind, and fire playing in the background, Keith painted through the mid-afternoon. Hop and Ed both came to visit, announcing their arrival with chirps. Ed fell asleep on a cat perch by the window. Hop soon grew bored with Keith, not petting her, and went off to again explore the other floors. When Ginger came home, she found Keith on the back balcony watching the squirrels. See that one, he said, as he pointed to a good-sized one perched on top of a utility pole. He's the ringleader, or maybe the foreman. He just sits on that pole and squeaks orders at the other ones all day. They buried a whole bunch of stuff in that planter over there, Keith pointed at a balcony across the alley from their house. Ginger didn't look at the squirrels or the planter. She stood there looking at her husband, who was looking at squirrels. Keith could feel the stare. He looked up at her and asked, what? How long have you been out here watching the squirrels? I don't know, maybe a half hour or so. He quickly added, I got some good painting done today. That's great. But this is the third time I've come home to find you watching squirrels. It's become a pattern. Now you need to get up and go for a walk or something. Squirrel watching is not good for you. I don't know what you mean, he said. You know exactly what I mean. Squirrel watching is the first sign of depression. Keith wasn't sure this was technically true, but understood what his wife was saying, and she was usually right. I get it. You're feeling lonely. We don't know people here yet. I get to chat with customers all day long, but you're alone. Keith interrupted her. I have the cats. She ignored him. You don't even have a second space, much less a third one. You work and live in the same space right now. You need to get out. Patterns are made to keep us safe. Now that you aren't teaching, you've lost your structure, so you're making new patterns, and that's okay, but not all of them are good. The only way you're going to have an adventure is if you break your pattern. Find some other artists. Visit some of the galleries here that you thought were so great. Just go talk to someone other than me and the cats. Hell, just find a good neighborhood bar and make some new friends. Just please stop watching the squirrels. Chapter 4 A neighborhood bar is an important part of a good life, Keith's Uncle Dan once told him. Uncle Dan had lived in a lot of neighborhoods with a lot of neighborhood bars and, at least by his own standards, lived a very good life. Keith listened to Uncle Dan's advice and, with Ginger's encouragement, the next day he walked down by the river until he reached the river room. Keith had strolled by it many times already, thinking he should go inside sometime, but just hadn't yet. The bar was on the first floor of an old stone house on Front Street, facing Riverfront Park and the Susquehanna. There were a few black metal outdoor tables and chairs on the covered porch for when the weather was good, which it was for an October afternoon. Inside, a young couple sat at the far end of the bar. Keith grabbed a stool near the middle, close enough to possibly engage in conversation, but not encroaching on their privacy, proper bar etiquette that Uncle Dan would approve. The room wasn't large or well-lit, but it was comfortable. Most of the lights spilled in from outside through the large window that gave anyone inside a spectacular view of the river. The antique wooden bar ran along the entire right side of the space, with bottles and a few TVs behind it. One had a news show, and the other a sports talk show, both with the sound off, closed captions on. A handful of unmatched tables and chairs filled the rest of the space. Not quite a dive, but it didn't look like a place for high-end craft cocktails either. 
The bartender welcomed Keith with a smile and asked what he would like. The man was a bit older, maybe early 60s, with a trim athletic build and a short white beard and closely trimmed white hair. Keith asked if they had Pinot Noir. The bartender handed him a wine list, which was longer and better than Keith expected. He ordered a glass of one of his favorites from Willamette Valley. This is Joe Biden's cousin's favorite wine, the bartender told Keith as he poured. Really? Keith was skeptical, but the bartender nodded in affirmative. Okay, I'll bite. How do you know that? The bartender recorked the bottle and placed it back on a shelf behind him. A year or so ago, this guy comes in and sat right where you were sitting. It was about this time of day, maybe a bit later, and there were three other customers here. He asked for the wine list like you did and ordered the same thing, but he ordered the whole bottle. Tells me it's his favorite wine and said to pour everyone in the bar, including myself, a drink. And then he orders a second bottle to make sure everyone gets enough. How'd you know he was Joe Biden's cousin, Keith asked. The bartender was rinsing and drying glasses behind the bar the entire time he was chatting away. Well, that's the thing. He looked exactly like him. I mean, I mean, Joe Biden. At first, I thought it might be him, but that didn't make any sense, right? What would Biden be doing here and without Secret Service? So I said to him something about him looking kind of familiar. And do I know him from somewhere? He gets this great big smile on his face, you know, just like Biden does. And he says, yeah, I get that a lot. I'm Joe Biden's cousin. He said that for real? Yeah, I mean, who am I to argue? He looked exactly like him, and he's buying wine for everyone. You know the whole Biden family's from near here and just a couple hours north up in Scranton. He said he was in town for a meeting at the Capitol, and he's a really funny guy. He had us all laughing, turned this sleepy bar into a party in less than 10 minutes. He even played matchmaker. The bartender had said that last part loud enough for the couple at the end of the bar to hear. He had caught their attention, and they turned to him and Keith. They were probably in their mid-twenties, looking artsy, wearing all black, and very definitely in love. Though sitting high on their bar stools, Keith could tell that they were both short. The guy gave the bartender a big thumbs up. We wouldn't have met if it wasn't for Joe Biden's cousin, the kid said from the end of the bar, indicating with his pointed finger that we was he and the girl. I was sitting here when the guy came in and had a glass of wine with him when he ordered the bottle of wine. We chatted for a bit, and he was like the friendliest guy in the world, and then Rose came in. He nodded at the girl and sat at the other in the bar. When she ordered a glass of wine, this guy insisted that he get it. Rose was about to say no when Michael, he pointed to the bartender, then continued. Michael said, he just bought wine for everyone else. You might as well accept it. Rose nodded in agreement and picked up the story. I thought the guy was a bit creepy, you know, too friendly, she said. But everyone seemed okay with him. Then he told me I, I just had to meet his best friend, Trevor. The young man got a big smile on his face as Rose continued. So I sat down here next to Trevor and we started talking. I'd seen him around town, but we'd never met. And I asked him how long he and Joe Biden's cousin had been best friends. And I was like, uh, 20 minutes. Clearly, Trevor thought this was hysterical as he laughed at his own wit. And we kept talking and have been together ever since. Isn't that awesome? Joe Biden's cousin was my wingman. Then Rose finished the story. And now we're engaged. She held out her hand to show off the very small diamond ring. Wow, Keith said. You need to invite him to your wedding. Oh, we would, Trevor said with enthusiasm. But we can't figure out his real name. I mean, I know he told us, but none of us can remember. We just kept on calling him Joe Biden's cousin. And I tried to look him up online, but it turns out that Joe Biden has like 18 cousins. Catholic family, you know. 
Michael, the bartender, added, and he paid with cash, so I never saw his name on a credit card. Keith raised his glass of Willamette Valley Pinot Noir and said, well, it sounds like we should have a toast to Joe Biden's cousin. Rose and Trevor raised their glasses, and Michael made a motion of tipping the empty glass he was cleaning. To Joe Biden's cousin, they all said. Chapter 5. As they toasted, the door opened, the late afternoon light framing the silhouette of a very small person in a long coat. At first, Keith couldn't tell if it was a man, a woman, or some sort of gnome. Michael, Rose, and Trevor all let out a chorus of Jane as the figure came closer to the bar. Keith could see that Jane was an older woman, maybe in her mid-80s, with short gray hair and a coat that was much too heavy for the warm fall weather. He realized that he had seen her before, walking around the neighborhood. He had wondered if she was homeless. Jane smiled, called out hello to Trevor and Rose, and then walked with purpose right up to Keith. Looking up at him, Jane was a few inches short of five feet. She asked him, Do you know who you are? Uh, yes? Keith wasn't quite sure how to answer Jane's question. Well then? She was not to be deterred. Keith needed to tell her who he was. My name is Keith Reed. Well, how do you do, Keith Reed? Are you related to the musician Lou Reed? Um, not that I know of, but I'm a big fan. So am I. I'm Jane. Jane Goodwin. And she shook his hand. Keith could feel her bones through the loose skin and softened his grip. Michael, the bartender, leaned into the conversation and said with a smile, Jane is our neighborhood welcome wagon. Jane, your usual? Well, of course. Thank you, Michael. Turning to Keith, and it looks like you could use another, the bartender asked. Keith nodded in agreement. Michael then quietly added, would you mind giving Jane a hand? The stools are a bit high for her. If Jane heard the remark, she gave no indication. She was trying to climb up onto the stool without success. It was awkward, like watching a hobbit slipping on ice. Keith gave her his arm, and she used it to lift herself up. Thank you. You're a gentleman, and perhaps a scholar. I used to be an English teacher myself. Now tell me, what do you do? Her voice was raspy and not too loud. Her enunciation was crisp. Keith considered Jane direct, but not impolite. It was a quality Keith noticed in several older people. He supposed it was because on some level they knew that they probably didn't have too much time left to waste. Keith interrupted his own thoughts. Did this old lady just say she was a Lou Reed fan? That was interesting. As Michael brought them their drinks, Jane's was a gin and tonic with lime, Keith answered her many questions. He told her that he was an artist, and yes, he painted, and no, she probably hadn't seen his work anywhere in town. He had moved here only recently. The bartender had been listening to their conversation. By the way, Keith, is it? He held out his hand. I'm Michael Brookfield. I'm the proprietor here. Welcome to the room, as we call it. Thanks, Mike. It's great to meet you all. It sounded right, but by the way, they all stopped talking and smiling at him. He realized he had blundered and didn't know how. Um... Did I say something wrong? Jane lowered her head and stared into her drink. The bartender gave him a hard look for a moment and then said, It's all right. You didn't know, but it is always Michael, not Mike. I'm not an object to amplify your voice. His tone was friendly, but cold. It was obvious he had used this line before and received no pleasure from it. Jane, quietly added, almost under her breath, still staring into her gin and tonic. Michael is very sensitive about his name. 
And then she looked up at Keith and made a face with her eyes going big and exaggerating her smile so that it seemed to take up most of her face in a look that could only be described as, whoops. She then patted Keith on the knee. Michael's friendly smile returned and everyone was pleasant again. And Keith would remember to never call Michael Mike again. My husband, Lewis, was an artist, Jane told him. Not a painter like you, but a photographer. He showed his work at the Harrisburg Art Members Gallery many times. He wasn't always a photographer. That came when he retired. Before that, he was a banker. By her tone, Keith guessed that her husband had passed. What did he photograph? Louis really liked nudes, Jane said with a smile. Keith looked surprised. Oh, I didn't mind. I like nudes, too. But we had a rule. I always was in the studio with him when he was doing a shoot. It wasn't Louie I was worrying about. I trusted him. But he was so handsome, even in his 80s, that I didn't want any of those young models to get any ideas about funny business. She had a healthy sip of her drink. But I was asking about you. Tell me, specifically, what do you like to paint? Keith told her that he usually painted in oils, mostly cityscapes and landscapes of things he liked to look at. The painting he was currently working on was part of a new cityscape series based on the geometry of the back porches of the neighboring houses that he could see from his balcony and from his studio windows. Making his immediate view his subject matter helped him acclimate to his new home, and it gave him a lot to work with. Lots of hard lines and colorful shapes, the values changing with the lights. They weren't abstract, he told her, but it was the closest Keith had come to abstraction in his work. These were the ones he would be sending to Indianapolis. Keith was concerned he was going on too long and boring her, but Jane was very enthusiastic and encouraging and made him describe in detail what colors and shapes he was paying attention to. Jane listened very carefully and then said, You answered that well. You do pay attention. It's now my turn to speak. She sat up rigidly, her exaggerated posture adding as much as an inch to her height. Michael made a muffled comment about Jane being on her soapbox. Just ignore him. She said, Keith realized that her hearing must be better than he had thought. Now, what was I saying? Jane looked around the room as if to find an answer. Oh, yes, art and paying attention. That's where I was. That's how I look at art, you know? Even if I don't like the work, and there is a lot of silliness out there that I do not like, no, sir. But I still tried to give them the benefit of the doubt and understand what the artist was paying so much attention to that he wanted to make a painting of it or a photograph, or a sculpture, or whatever, music, play, a story, any art. And then I want to know why. Her voice became louder for a moment and then settled down. If he, or she, paid that much attention to something to make it, then I want to try and pay some attention to it as well. But I want to know why I should. And the art better be able to tell me, because if it can't, then it isn't very good, don't you think? She didn't wait for an answer. It could be a shape, or a color, or an idea, or a moment, or a person, or anything, really. She paused a second. But that's what art is, don't you think? What people pay attention to. As she finished her monologue, she also finished off her drink and set it down hard on the bar to punctuate her statement. Keith didn't know what to say. Standing behind the bar, Michael just smiled as if he had heard this all before, which he probably had. But Keith had not heard it before and thought what Jane was saying was the truth and what he had always believed, even if he had never articulated it in this way. He finally found the words to tell her that he thought this may be the best definition of art, why an artist makes art and how to look at art, that he had ever heard. It was brilliant and so simple. It was all about paying attention. He wondered why he had never thought of it that way. Jane could tell that he wasn't exaggerating his enthusiasm and sat there beaming at the flattery. 
Keith asked Jane if he could buy her another drink. She told him thank you, but no. She only ever had one or she might get too loopy to walk home on her own. Then she gave him an elfish smile and told him that he could buy her the drink she had already finished. He told her that he would be glad to. Thank you, said Jane. Have you been to the Third Street bookstore yet? Keith started to say he had, but Jane paid no attention and continued on. You may not know this, but in the basement they have a small room filled with some very lovely prints and etchings. You should really go take a look sometime. Somehow Keith had not seen the etchings at the bookstore, but he hadn't spent much time in the basement part yet either. He made a mental note to look for it the next chance he had. Jane was still chattering away. And now, when am I going to see your work in one of our local galleries? Well, I, I don't know. I haven't had a chance to talk with any of them yet. Keith had decided if he wanted to show in Harrisburg. I mean, it made sense, of course, but it also meant he would lose any of the anonymity he had just started to enjoy. In Michigan, he was known around town as that painter guy and had grown accustomed to being recognized in most places he would go. At restaurants and the supermarket, people would say hello and often want to stop and chat about his work, which was nice, but it also drove Ginger crazy. Can't we ever just go out without people recognizing you? She would ask. She teased Keith that he was a small C celebrity. Going shopping for groceries at the Broad Street Market in Harrisburg and not being recognized was a surprising treat. Since they had moved, Keith almost felt like he was on vacation in a town where no one knew him. But he wasn't on vacation. He lived here. And he wanted to know these people. Talking with Jane made him want to show his work in his new hometown. Where should I start? She didn't answer immediately. Instead, she seemed to have fallen asleep. Her eyes were almost closed. He wondered if she was all right. Then Jane popped open her eyes and said with clarity, The Harrisburg Art Members Gallery. That's where Louis showed sometimes. From the way you describe your work, I think you would fit in very well there. Yes, very well. You might also want to talk to that woman at the Gray Gallery. Michael, what is her name? The bartender had drifted away to pour more drinks for Trevor and Rose and had missed this part of the conversation. Who's that, Jane? That smart-dressed woman who runs the Gray Gallery. It was almost a shout. Oh, you mean Patience. Patience Gray. Yeah, she comes in here sometimes. Yes, that's her. Well, smart dressed. Jane scrunched up her face and then added, and a bit smarty pants too, if you ask me. She smiled at her own devilishness. But she seems to know what she's doing, or at least she'll tell you that she does. She's very successful. Jane included that last part begrudgingly. I don't know if your work would meet her standards. Oh, wait, no, that didn't sound right. She gave him a worried look. No offense, Keith said, and Jane was relieved. Not that your work isn't good enough, I'm sure it is, but it may not be contemporary enough, if you know what I mean. Most of the work she shows is very contemporary. Some people like it, and I guess they buy it, but half the time I can't tell what the artist was paying attention to. She has lots of works by Alan Moonshine, if you know of him. Keith did know of him. He knew him well. When Keith was in high school, the bad boy Alan Moonshine was his hero. It wasn't a name heard much anymore in the art world. At one point, before he died, Alan Moonshine was considered one of the hottest conceptual artists in the country, creating installations with bricks he had drawn on. He also was known for bizarre performance art pieces, usually performed nude or in drag, and he was also very divisive. Some critics thought he was brilliant, others thought he was a fraud. Keith eventually got turned off by some of Moonshine's antics, but he still respected Moonshine's success. Either way, brilliant or fraud, Keith was surprised to hear that a Harrisburg gallery was carrying his work. It didn't seem like the right market. He asked Jane if she knew how Moonshine's work had ended up there. She thought about it for a moment. 
I remember now, years ago, they did a big article about Patience Gray in the paper when she first moved here. She was an assistant or intern or something like that for Moonshine when she was younger. I think it said that she had worked at some museums, and then when he died, she became a Moonshine expert and opened the gallery. Jane then turned her palms face up and scrunched her face as to say, who knows why these things happen. But why here? Keith asked. Michael chimed in from behind the bar. Moonshine was from Harrisburg originally. A lot of people don't know that. Keith searched his memory. I thought Moonshine was from some small town in Kentucky or something. Isn't that how he got his name? Well, there are some rural places not too far from here that we call Pennsylvania. But Moonshine was from Harrisburg. That name and that whole Kentucky backwoods hillbilly thing was all just a part of the myth he created about himself, the bartender said with a lack of enthusiasm. Keith suspected there was more to the story and asked Michael if he knew Moonshine. No, not really. He came in here once a long time ago. One of the biggest assholes I've ever met. Michael, Jane admonished. No swearing when I'm around. Sorry, Jane, he said with slight embarrassment. She told him it was okay and that it was time for her to be going away before it got too dark for her to walk home. Carefully, she climbed down off the stool. Keith had offered his arm again and she used it to steady herself as her feet hit the floor. She thanked him for his arm and for the drink and told him she looked forward to chatting with him again soon and seeing his paintings. She then called out a goodbye to Trevor and Rose. Keith stayed for one more, chatting with Michael before he went home. He now had his neighborhood bar and maybe some new friends. You've been listening to episode two of Paint by Murders. Thanks to Pixabay.com for the music. Come back in a week for the next episode. If you would like more information about the project or have comments you'd like to share, please do so on the social media pages where you found this or email me at paintbymurders at gmail.com. I'm your host, narrator, and author, M. Travis DiNicola. Thanks for listening. <laughs>